Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. I'm Neil Manthorpe, one half of South Africa on 99.94 with my co-host Lungani Zama. We're covering the Rainbow Nation as it undergoes its biggest transition since readmission, along with a few other nations as well. We cover every part of the South African game here on 99.94, and you can hear us several times a week uh, wherever you get your podcasts and, of course, on YouTube. Um, We are still reflecting um, with some delight, it has to be said, on... uh, Namibia's victory in the opening game of the T20 World Cup and what it means for the other associate nations. I'll tell you what, um, as we uh, record this, um, the Netherlands are uh, just limping over the well, towards the line against uh, the United Arab Emirates. Um, and there are some very, very good associate nations around the, the game, uh, Zams, and there are some who... <laughs> are less good. And we're going to touch on them as well. Um, the, the European League appears to have made some, um, uh, well, it's created a lot of traction, hasn't it, for the wrong reasons on uh, social media um, with uh, clips of um, uh, failure and, and ineptitude. I, I'm sure the quality isn't as poor as we might believe by looking at uh, some of those clips. But um, Namibia have really shown what is possible. They, they, you know, they, I mean, the Netherlands had their moments, didn't they? They beat England in uh, the T20 World Cup in 2014. Um, but they've been largely sporadic. And I think it's fair to say that um, Ireland and Scotland have had their, their moments as well. Ireland, of course, are a test-playing nation now. But they've not only have they been sporadic, but um, they've been largely based on, on imports, um, you, you know, star players from, from other countries. Um, and it, and there was always question marks about the sustainability. But Namibia, I think, of, of showing the world what is possible. Um, yeah, look, Neil, the, the Namibian story, you know, took a bit of a detour a couple of years ago because a lot of these under-19 stars that are in their current setup actually failed um, on, on a pretty big scale in terms of qualification for them. They lost to Nigeria, who then took the African qualifying spot to an under-19 World Cup for the first time ever, and it was in South Africa. And it was a real wake-up call and a proper body blow because it was almost expected. You're playing at home. Most of the African teams are not really on your level. And they somehow lost the game to Nigeria, and Nigeria ended up winning the tournament and, and, and taking the qualifying spot. And that's obviously got big ramifications and they've taken their lesson from there and really made sure that they prepare properly for every single tournament because you know the the margins are so tight if you don't qualify for one of these tournaments as um an associate member financially you could be in ruins um you know everything is planned around making sure that when you get your chance you take it bare minimum you qualify for the qualifying tournament and then the opportunities there to qualify for the tournament proper. Um, and like you say, you know, we've seen Ireland and the strides they made as 
after surprising performances in a T20 World Cup, not just for individual players, but for the country as well, because it's almost a hobby in a lot of these nations to play cricket. And there's obviously the occasional student who comes from a major test-playing nation who sort of funds their university with a bit of cricket on the side and then they dominate the club scene and kind of get into the national team because they're good and they've just played a lot more cricket than, than the people around them. Um, but once you start qualifying for these tournaments and the, the people who run the game, who themselves sometimes are part-time, and then they start realizing that, you know, we can have full-time jobs and start building a proper cricket community here that that sits at the top table at the ICC and, and actually can put their hand up and ask for more funding that directly speaks to development. You know, Namibia have won the development award for the ICC for a couple of years now because they so aggressively recruit the next generation because they understand what it means. Uh, they're hosting one of the World Cup qualifier tournaments for 2027. You know, that's a, a young young nation by 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 all measures um but they're there you know zimbabwe for for all their troubles that they've had politically cricket has been the one thing that has sort of kept going and they hosting the 50 over world cup qualifying tournament next year in, in june july so there's definite money that filters down to the very lowest levels to try and encourage participation because i think if we're honest cricket for one of the major sports in the world and one of the most played and definitely the most watched the participation levels in terms of countries and openness are still so, so skewed. You know, it's still just a handful of teams, really. Um, so you want to encourage more and more. So when you see a Namibia or you see a Nigeria or you, you see a Germany, you know, teams that you don't associate with cricket, you know, United States throwing real money at the game and recruiting aggressively and starting their own tournament. It shows you that people see the potential of it, the marketability of it, um, and 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 that's that's a good thing for the game because it allows those players who are surplus to countries like South Africa or England or Australia to go and 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 take that gospel of the game to corners that need it, and then inspire people within to mobilize and start playing for their countries and and do something that maybe you hadn't planned for, but it's actually a lot more attainable now than it ever has been. Talking of funding, um, twenty years ago, if you had to pick a Southern African nation outside of South Africa and Zimbabwe um, to, if you, it, it, to, to make real strides in the world game, you, you'd have gone Kenya. So do you, do you have any idea what, what ha- has happened to the game in Kenya? I know that there's a huge amount of political infighting. I mean, that isn't there always. Um, but, but there, again, there was so much talent. What, what's happened? Yeah, I was there recently and I asked the same question and, it's it's a combination. Yeah, surely the the politics in the country have certainly been far bigger problems facing people. Um the the very large part of, of, of their their cricketers were expats. Um and obviously, you know, families move away in times of turmoil and go to their real homes. Um and and, and then you know, they, they had a golden generation around two thousand three. Um you know, early 2000s, certainly when they they went all the way to the semifinals of the 2003 World Cup and, and shocked everyone. Um, that was their golden generation. And maybe they just didn't invest as aggressively as others have. And they didn't realize that it's it's not something that you can turn on and off at will. You kind of have to take 
your best performance and use that as a justification for more funding, whether it's from the government or from commercial partners, that's the moment. You've got to take that moment when you've just gone to a World Cup semi-final and maybe at the time the game didn't sound as big and as lucrative. There was no IPL. You couldn't see these big numbers associated with the game. So it was just a, a fairy tale and that's kind of where Kenyan cricket thought it, it, it ended and it would just, you know, maybe go on for another year or another World Cup cycle. But now that people understand the, the economics and just how much funding there is available, and it's, it's, it's multiplied hugely. I mean, we're talking 20 years ago that Kenya had that, that great tournament. Now, every smaller nation realizes that by simply qualifying for all these ICC events, and now more than ever, ICC events are not every few years. Every single year, there is an ICC tournament that you can qualify for as a junior or as a smaller nation, and that's going to be funding directly into your cricket system. That's going to be your players taken care of. And that's that's in, in enough incentive because even if the administrators are slow waking up, the players know exactly what it means. Once they've got a taste for it and they're getting $100 a day per diem and they're staying in five-star hotels and they're being chauffeured and they, they, they're, they're playing, more importantly, they're playing against the best in the world and realizing that you can beat Steve Smith with a good ball and you can you can hit Jasper Bumrah over his head for six if he bowls badly. It, it just accelerates the growth of the game and it accelerates their own ambitions, which in turn, you know, makes for a far more competitive um, cricket, you know, fraternity. And some of the most competitive matches at the moment are, are not so much in the actual tournament proper. It's in the qualification process because it's proper heated because the stakes are much bigger than actually getting to it, it's It's everything. It's everything. I do love the way you, you can't go five minutes without bringing things back to a base level and the quality of the club sandwiches in five-star hotels and room service. Um, and the, and the amount of enjoyment that players get traveling the world. I love it. I love it. It's, it's that injection of reality that we need. Because that's what they talk about. They, like you go to <laughs> hotels in India it, it definitely means staying at a Holiday Inn somewhere in the middle of nowhere where you, you're bunking with, you know, whoever you're lucky enough to bunk with. Now suddenly you've got a room. I'll never, ever forget. Andile Petrugaya, the first time he went to India and he played Champions League for the Dolphins. He stood in this hotel room and he looked around and he said, this entire hotel room is bigger than any house that my family has ever had. This one hotel room. It's mad. It's, it's absolutely mad. So that's, that's what the game can do. So, I mean, once you've got a taste for it. Why would you settle for a coleslaw sandwich when you can have a, a club sandwich on top of Bangalore <laughs> overlooking the city? I mean, jeez, you know. That's <laughs> what it is. Oh, brilliant. I know, I know. Um, okay, we'll take a short break and we're going to talk about uh, more about the future of, of uh, Associate Nations at the big table in just a moment. You're listening to Cricket's Conversation on 99.94. Whatever your team, we have the show for you on podcast, YouTube, or on the 99.94 app. We have India, England, South Africa, West Indies, and now Sri Lanka covered. If you want to find us, the best way is to follow us on social media at 9994DM by downloading the 9994 app or Google 99.94 on podcast. We speak cricket. Okay, Zams, here's a, a little bit of uh, research that um, I didn't do myself. I've taken it straight from Freddie Wilde. 
the um, the analyst uh, who's done the research for us. But it's an incredible statistic, and one to me um, that justifies the promotion and the expansion of associate nations and and and. Um, widening the base of the T20 game. I mean, they say that it's the the format of the underdog. This statistic is, I've, I was shocked, um, and because it comes from Freddie Wilde, I'm not going to question it. Uh, Namibia's victory against Sri Lanka in the opening game of the T20 World Cup was the 38th win for an associate nation against a full nation out of 148 such matches which is a win rate of 25%. The underdog wins a quarter of the time, which is astonishing compared to ODI cricket, um, which has had 48 upsets out of 393 games over 47 years. That's that's an upset rate of 12%. Just that number alone justifies the expansion of of the T20 game, doesn't it? Yeah, it it, it does. And... and you know, there's obviously a, a bigger lesson in that in the fact that the longer the format, the more the quality and the experience comes through. And and we've seen that. If we stretch it out into, you know, I remember Bangladesh, we took years to, to win anything really outside of Chittagong. But that's, you know, that's the game. The longer the format, the more you stretch things out, the harder it is. You know, that's why you start small, get comfortable and then challenge yourself, you know. Um, those of us who don't swim naturally will tell you, you start in the shallow end and then eventually wade into deeper waters with experience and uh, confidence. <laughs> but it's, it, 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 is, it is absolute justification for, for the powers that be to aggressively pursue growing the numbers. You know, football, the, the, the greatest game in the world, is, is, was the most popular sport in the world, is, is now looking at a 48-team tournament for the FIFA World Cup. Cricket has to go the same way, and, and especially because you've got formats that that allow and and show you that it's competitive. I mean, you 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 can call them bits and pieces cricketers, but in twenty overs, if that's all you have to worry about, being competitive for a couple of hours, a lot more nations can and have done and keep doing it, and we've just seen it again today. So, the best way to grow the game and 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 and, and you know establish more reach to different countries that have a sort of passing interest and, and, and you turn that into a proper passion is by giving more slots to to teams who are showing enthusiasm towards the game and are putting money towards it and more than anything, putting time towards it because the rewards are there. And and, and for the game, you you know, if can you imagine one day going covering a World Cup in in Europe? Not England, in Europe. And you're playing in Germany and you're playing on the Slovenian border with you know ice in the background and you're playing in Italy because they are playing it it's a very low amateurish level right now I think I actually almost snuck a game in for Croatia when I played a, a tournament there once if 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 my my um if my personal life wasn't as complicated I might have stuck around and got a passport and <laughs> who knows played at a, at a qualifying tournament but it's it's there you know there, there's there's people who go and live in these countries and, and, and start playing and, and, and the cricket improves and the game grows. And I think that's ICC's biggest mandate is the game must grow and continue to grow. So when, you, when you're not talking about Ireland again and again and again and you move on to Scotland and then you move on to Holland and then you move on to Namibia now and next World Cup we move on to USA and then in 2031 we're talking about this great German golden generation that's gone to the quarterfinals of the T20 World Cup. 
that's what you want. That's what you want because that's growth and that's sustainability and, and, and that brings more people to the, to, to the table. Michael Richardson, Dave Richardson's son, he plays for Germany. And that's the most non-German sounding name <laughs> in the history of German cricket. But I'm sure he's, he's, he's a key player, so they couldn't care less. Okay, um, so because Namibia turned over the Asia Cup champions in the first game, a lot of people uh, took to social media to say, why on earth do we have this preliminary round of the T20 World I mean, you know, if Namibia are beating Sri Lanka, we shouldn't be having this preliminary sort of qualifying round at all. But um, the, the good news, well, it's a question, actually. Is it good news? Um, and I think I may have just answered this question, but the 2024 T20 World Cup, is going to be 20 teams. Um, I understand five groups of four. So 12 teams will qualify automatically, including the West Indies and the USA as hosts. Um, and then the teams which finish in the top four of these two groups, um, or at least group A and B of this tournament, will qualify as well, plus two more from the world rankings. And then the last eight places will be filled with regional qualifying tournaments. So two more teams from Asia. So the likes of Nepal, um, I, I guess, would, would be favourites. Two from Africa, which would be fascinating. Nigeria would be contenders, obviously. Presumably Zimbabwe will have will have pre-qualified, so that they won't have to take part in the regional qualifiers. So two teams and not South Africa, although <laughs> you never know. Um, no, you do know. Um, uh, so that that will be fascinating. So that you know, Kenya, Nigeria, uh, Malawi, um, you know, the two from the um, uh, East Asia Pacific region. So I guess that's uh, your, your Papua New Guineas, Fiji, Fiji, very decent team. The one that concerns me is two from Europe. And I, I don't know very much about European cricket. I know that Michael Richardson plays for Germany. Um, and I, I'm afraid that my view has been biased by the number of clips of ineptitude that I've seen on social media, um, the European League. And I'm sure that there are some good moments as well. But um, so two teams from Europe would be interesting. I did some commentary during uh, the summer with Jade Dernbach, who played 50 white ball games for England, the, the Surrey Seema. He now um, plays for Italy. His, his mother is actually Italian, so it's perfectly legitimate. It's nothing to do with his love of pasta. Um, so so is that is that a, a good move? Is, is that going to be sustainable? You've travelled a lot more in Europe and seen a lot more European cricket than I have. Um, what, what do you think? Well, firstly, there's nothing wrong with a, a, a love for pasta. So if that was <laughs> Dernbach's qualification procedure, so be it. Um, but... Yeah, it is. It is good for the game because I, I think, you know, we've spoken about growth and and, and, and encouraging um, these teams to to, to 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 sort of do more. If your ceiling is confined to just only ever playing Germany and Slovenia, that the numbers dwindled, you know, soon after. Once you've beaten them a few times and you, you realise, you know, but they play from Hungary to Italy. The, the game is played, you know, in, in most of these countries, the game is played. Um Facilities are a massive issue, um, you know, so there's a lot of driving to one ground and there's, you know, one pitch that sort of gets worn out. It's the same in Africa, um, maybe even poorer in Africa, but the, the game is certainly played. 
Um, and and once once people understand that there's a slot that's reserved for teams like yourself, just the two of you, you you, you know you you pull your socks up and 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 build towards it. It's it's quite simple. You 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 now understand that there's there's more to play for. Um, so again, there'll be lopsided results, but they they always are. I mean. You know, even the best teams in the world can get turned over and rolled over for 80 in, in any format. Um, and the good thing is that most of these, these these nations do have three or four decent players from whether they were junior cricketers on international stage in, in, in other countries or like Arula van der Merwe playing for Holland or David Visa playing for Namibia. They are. They were proper international cricketers who just wanted a few more years, and are actually doing the game a service. So it's not as if they're absolute complete nobodies. And 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 to be honest, the game has accelerated a lot in in, in recent years because ICC has so aggressively said that if you're showing promise, we're going to throw money at you and we're going to give you developmental funds to to build infrastructure, to 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 even recruit players, to to establish a league. We're going to reward you for it. We're not just going to let you do it and make it a, a labor of love. We're actually going to incentivize you. And you can see from an African perspective, I've covered most of the regional tournaments, whether they're juniors or women's or, or men's, you can see the standard rise every single tournament because the one that leaves the pack, so Nigeria left it, everyone else chased them, everyone who saw themselves as equal to them and suddenly they've gone and they're alone in, a, in an ICC tournament. You chase them. Namibia now, they're winning international matches against Asia Cup champions. The onus is then on Kenya and Nigeria to to chase because if they go away too far, then, you know, you're just left behind completely and they were with you. That's, you know, that sense of FOMO is is very important to, because the last in is is sort of attainable to you. You're never going to measure yourself against England or New Zealand. But you're certainly going to measure yourself against what everyone else calls a minnow. I mean, we haven't even spoken about Afghanistan. They were in the same boat, and they've given the world several superstars. And you know, they were an unknown quantity not that long ago. Rashid Khan still stands as one of the very best T20, not just bowlers, players. Period. And he comes from one of these smaller nations. So everywhere you look, if you look hard enough, there is mercurial talent, and you know the mission is is to find it. And T20 is is the best vehicle to find it because it's never going to be a complete shambles. It's never going to be a complete embarrassment to one nation. It's too short a format. But even if they lose every single game, they're going to learn and they're going to come back stronger at the next one and they're going to go back to their regional qualifying tournament and raise the standard, which grows the game. Okay. uh, We haven't slotted in our second break. It's going to have to be a very short final session because we're almost out of time. But uh, we'll be back in just a moment. If you love the language of cricket and want more, then head over to the 99.94 app and you can hear all of our podcasts and cricket commentary. We're adding new shows all the time and covering cricket series from all over the world. Be the first to hear all of our announcements by following us on social media at 9994DM. Welcome to Cricket's Conversation. Right, we're a bit lopsided, as I said. Uh, this is going to be a very short final section of this podcast. Um, Zams, have you played that game where you go, you you click on a scorecard on ESPN Crick Info uh, in a game between uh, Slovakia and Slovenia, 
Um, I just I, I, randomly, um, but wh- whoever, and and then you you go through the t and you try and find uh, how many South Africans that that they've they've got in them. Have you? And you, you go to Jersey. Actually, Jersey, no, Jersey and Papua New Guinea, the two of the few teams in the world where they are all actually local. I was very surprised by the the Jersey team. They they seem to be uh, very um, homegrown. But do you know? <laughs> Do you know South African players, club cricketers that you played with, for example, that have gone to Europe um, and and not so much accidentally, because we all know that, you know, of those players who, who, who go over to play club cricket um, in the UK or Ireland or Scotland and, you know, end up staying and, and end up playing for it, sort of it wasn't part of the plan. Um, are you aware of anybody that's actually gone to Europe and thought, OK, I want to be a a full-time cricketer. I, I want to play international cricket. I'm not going to crack it for South Africa. And actually gone over to, to Europe, in particular Europe, um, in order to pursue a career. But, and, and also, do you know anybody who's been tasked with the, with the job of um, uh, tracking talented club cricketers' lineage, find out whether they've got <laughs> Scottish ancestry? It's... <laughs> It's fascinating you ask that question. One of my very good friends has actually just landed in South Africa now. He's a complete cricket nut. Lives in Zagreb, but sort of follows the sun and watches cricket wherever he can in the world. And he actually introduced me to a guy who comes from Pochestrum, who's now trying to qualify to play for Croatia. Um, and then he said another name, which I'm just blanking on, but he plays for Italy. And he's sort of the star for Italy because he's South African and he's just playing against players who are sort of more part-time. So they're definitely there and they're more and more because the EU passport is obviously very attractive if you're South African um, because you, you, you're kind of doing whatever day job you're doing. Um, and I'm just I'm not giving you details here, but I, I definitely anecdotally know of at least three or four, um, one of which definitely is in Italy, one is in Croatia and is actually now setting up funds for outreach projects that help kids in just outside Pochestrum, like a, you know, like a proper school with no facilities and, and, and setting up nets and giving kids opportunities, maybe not to create a pipeline from Pochestrum to, to Croatia, but <laughs> to give back to the game in a place where, you know, it needs it. So there's, there are definitely these romantic stories of um, even doctors and accountants who go over to actually work. And then on weekends, they suddenly discover that, oh, there's cricket and, and I can play it. And it looks like I'm the best player in this team as opposed to batting number 11 and not doing anything back home. Um, it's there. It's definitely there. I, 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 you said about Jersey. When I was still playing in Liverpool for a West Indian club, we went on a tour to Jersey. Um, and I was they were sh- shocked to have South Africans playing in a West Indian team because all of theirs were, were local. Um, and there was a team from Isle of Man as well, who were also all locals. And it's it, it is it is fascinating just how proud as well they were that everyone is homegrown and you know they 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 doing it properly as they said. So there there is I think it's an underrated international love for the game. Uh, it's just that maybe the the standards and the level of competition in some areas is not as deep rooted as say in Australia or in England. But there's no shortage of of passion, and 
you know, like South Africans, Indians and Pakistan players pop up every single way in the world. I mean, in Croatia, half their team had some sort of Pakistan or Indian ancestry. So it's it's there and and it helps that the you know the 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 world has become so much more of an international village where you can come in. I mean there's a Canadian there's a Canadian surgeon who plays for Croatia. David Zizek, he actually left a game once, a league game, to to go to hospital to to operate. So, you know, there there are these yeah, there are these things and you, you sit there and you go, Well, actually that's his real job is to save lives, not to, you know, keep wicket. But when he's got the time, he can keep wicket quite well and he can tell a good story and he can sledge like some of the best wicket keepers in world cricket. Um and it's it, it it's great as a hobby, but when you start, like we said, having international ambitions and, and, and have the international opportunities at your disposal it just changes the emphasis around the country and it starts making it more attractive. I mean, Kelvin Savage left South African cricket pretty much in his prime to go to America, as did Dan Pete, who was playing international cricket, gone to America. Because the opportunity is there and you can see that, you know, your standards uh, are definitely going to be higher there and more in demand there than here. And, you know, we've always said it, that there's a lot of South Africans everywhere in the world because there's so much competition here. It can only be a good thing for the game that you rather, instead of sitting in a corner and sulking, you go and find somewhere else where they need you and your skills and your passion and everything that you've learned here and you grow the game elsewhere. Uh, it's, it, it would be selfish, even of South African cricket, to stand in the way of people who do that. You should actually be actively encouraging that because you can only put out one team at a time. Um, and if we stacked up all the South Africans that have played international cricket around the world, it's incredible the number of caps and the number of centuries and the number of things that's been done, but they can't all fit into one country at the same time. So it's better for the game. And it's definitely something for South African cricket to be proud of or any other nation actually that feeds into the global cricket system because the game, the game is the game when more and more players and you can, you, you know, you can be competitive, whoever you play against. It's, it's, it's pointless having three or four super teams and everyone else just gets trampled. Um, it's, it's great when Namibia, beats a former world champion like they did this morning and you hope that it happens again in this tournament just maybe not South Africa losing to a minnow because I don't think they can they could take any more disappointment just at this moment but you know it wouldn't hurt if New Zealand or England uh, or Australia were turned over in a surprise result it's it's, it's just great for the game yeah uh, I think that would be um very, very good for the game. By the way, uh, just a, a final point. Uh, I'm sure that there'll be listeners and, and viewers thinking, how much cash can you actually make playing cricket for Croatia? And I think that's kind of missing the point because I, when I said to Jane Dernbach, who, by the way, um, you know, uh, but was born and bred and grew up in South Africa. So he's, he's another he's another export. Um, he's, got, uh, he's got South African, English and Italian passports. And he said... I said to him, how much money do you get playing a game for Italy? And he said, that really isn't the point, mate. You get a weekend in, in Rome. Um, but it's, you know, and, and it's fabulous. And uh, I think the answer was about $500. And I don't think that they all get paid the same. I think Dernbach as a professional would, would, would be paid more than some of the, the lesser players in the Italian team. But, um, you know, but that's not bad. You and I could do with $500. Exactly. Uh, it's... 
you don't go into the the lower leagues for money. You you go for the experience. I mean, we we played a match in Croatia on the back of a vineyard um, next to a castle that was about ten centuries old, <laughs> uh, and with the Adriatic Sea, you know, in the background. You you can't get that anywhere else. So you you play you play for love and you play for the experience, and then. You know, eventually it comes along that you can suddenly go and play in an international tournament and get actually money. But most of the people who play in these nations play to escape on the weekend and play with some of the best-looking grounds are in Europe. Um, they might not be the greatest quality, but backdrops, phenomenal, absolutely stunning. So, you know, long may it continue. Yeah, I have to say, I, I would pay money in to go and play uh, in Croatia. I'd be very, very happy to do that. A stunning place. Okay, um, that's it. Thanks uh, for listening to South Africa on 99.94, where we speak cricket every day, or not quite every day, but as often as we can. Please rate, review and subscribe wherever you enjoy your podcasts. You can download the 99.94 app and follow us on Twitter at Neil Manthorpe and at Wamzam17. So never miss out. Join our 24-7 conversation on social media and uh, follow us at 9994DM. Cricket every day, your way. Ready to up your game and learn more about the thrilling world of sports betting? Introducing Double Down with Breslow, the ultimate podcast about the business of sports gambling. Join me, James Breslow, and a long list of expert guests as we dive into the art and science of the sports betting industry. Evolving regulations, technology enhancements, and the meteoric rise in the number of players makes this sector the fastest growing and most intriguing in the world. Unlock the business secrets from many of the industry's most recognizable C-suite executives, including famous odds makers and influencers every episode of double down with Breslow is packed with insider tips deeply skilled analysis and in-depth discussions don't miss out on the ultimate resource for mastering the business of sports betting listen to double down with Breslow on the evergreen podcast network or wherever you listen to podcasts that's double down with Breslow the business of sports betting podcast